Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. Well, it's summertime. And a lot of people take that opportunity to stop fishing for trout and start fishing for other things. And a lot of times that's a pretty wise decision. There's some places where the trout just aren't going to survive. If your local stream is a put and take fishery, there's a good chance that those stocked fish are going to head up into the feeder creeks. They're going to find their way down to larger rivers where they get eaten by a toothy critter or caught by somebody using a worm or they're just going to die. They're not going to make it. And for a lot of people, that's, that's just the reality of how they fish. And so if you have a local stream that sustains populations of trout, whether they be native or wild throughout the summer months, and you live in the middle swath of the United States, consider yourself very blessed because there's a lot of people who that's just not their reality. They have great fall fisheries and winter fisheries and springtime fisheries, but summertime is just not a thing. But there's a lot of people who just choose not to fish in the summertime for trout because if there are fisheries that are kind of on the edge, They may or may not support fish. There's a small chance that fish might find a few tiny opportunities for thermal refuge. People wisely, I would say, stay away from those fisheries and they go and they take those opportunities to fish up in the mountains or to go find a spring creek or go to a tailwater or simply to fish for warm water species. And that's totally fine. Really, at the end of the day, you're talking about like end of June, July, August, and beginning of September. And some parts of the country, it's really just most of July and August. You, you have a smaller window that you have to contend with. And then, like I alluded to earlier, there's some opportunities that are going to be great year-round. High mountain streams are almost always going to sustain fish, and unless it's drought or incredibly hot heat wave, those fish are going to be pretty invulnerable to even the hottest temperatures. Spring creeks. Spring creeks are a 
awesome, awesome ecosystem. I talked about them quite a bit a couple of weeks ago. I was fishing on a spring creek down the mid-Atlantic, but because of the water table being close to the surface and because they are coming right up from the ground, not out of a, a high gradient situation, that water is going to maintain a nice, cool temperature year-round, something in the 50s. And a lot of spring creeks, a lot of the bigger spring creeks, it's not just one spring. It's a series of springs that have come to the surface, and that has what has led to that creek being formed in the way that it has. And there's probably even some secondary springs that feed into it. So those creeks are able to maintain that nice cold water year-round. And then, of course, there's tailwaters giant dams, primarily those ones that have a bottom release, the water that comes out of those deep cold lakes, even kind of moderately sized lakes, that water at the bottom is going to be so much cooler than the water at the top. So even if it is a relatively shallow and wide pond or a lake, if there is any depth to it, uh, that water that's at the bottom has so much protection from the shifting temperatures of the surface and the influence of the sun that that water is going to come out much, much cooler. So, I mean, that's an option of a place you can you can go find, Spring Creek, mount, High Mountain Stream, or even a tailwater. Not necessarily one of these giant TVA tailwaters pumping out immense quantities of water to uh, sustain giant trout and huge fisheries. But even just a local stream that's coming out of a bottom release dam, uh, you can check that out. And b between that cold water coming out of the bottom and if there is a component where there's water spilling over a spillway, that's going to be very oxygenated water. And those are the two things that those fish are going to need. And that's where you're going to find them, those high mountain streams. You're going to find them in those spring creeks, and you're going to find them in the tailwaters, cold oxygenated water. That's what trout need, not just to survive, but that's what trout need to have within a certain range if you're going to be fishing for them in a responsible manner. So I'm not really going to delve into the ethics of kind of where that line is for where you, when you should and when you shouldn't fish. If your local regulations give you a guideline of when you should and shouldn't fish. There's times when those streams are shut down, and that's precisely that what you should do. But if it's up to you, I think that you should be using your best judgment. You should be thinking about the resource. But what are we talking about today? We are talking about how you can find fish, maybe outside of those spring creeks, maybe outside of the tailwaters, and maybe outside of the high mountain streams if you want to find fish in hot weather because it's doable it's doable in a responsible way and i want to do it without getting all sciency all right and that's how you know i know a lot because i use a word like sciency but heat in the mid 70s and then the associated reduction that dissolved oxygen will put trout in significant distress i mean real distress uh they they will shut down their metabolism gets all messed up and any sort of stressors that they experience, whether it be humans predating on them or uh, some other situation, they are going to have a very, very high mortality rate. But trout are fish, and fish, virtually all of them, have been created to be very, very resilient. And they will hold on, if they have to, to endure such conditions for short, intermittent stretches. But of course, if they're put into situations where they exert themselves, and again, this is fighting at the end of a line or even fleeing from a predator, there's a good chance that they'll die. So again, as I said before, the common solution for most conservation-minded anglers, most 
ethically, you know, contemplative anglers is just to place stewardship above sport and lay off fly fishing for those fish for a month or two. And that's good. That's great. And it's admirable. But that doesn't mean that trout fishing is off limits in July and August. Um, you can do more than fish for bass and carp. You can do more than going and f- to a spring creek or a tailwater or a high mountain stream that may be hours and hours and hours from home. As in, as the case is in most circumstances, it's a smarter and not harder mindset that you need to employ. And you can still fish for trout throughout the warmest times of the year. So we're going to talk about three different things today. Three, they're simple, they're common sense, but I uh, Ask yourself, have you employed these things on your local fishery? And if not, can you? There's a very good chance that you can. So here's the first one. Springs in summer. Springs in summer. So as I said before, proximity to legitimate spring creeks is a luxury to certain parts of the country. Those unique watersheds, if you have them as an option in the summer, it's excellent. Flows are consistent, volume, temperature, and only the real worst droughts or some other weird weather phenomenon are going to cause interruptions to a very steady ecosystem. I mean, you're talking middle of winter, middle of summer, things are pretty much the same from a flow and temperature standpoint. The weeds will die off a little bit and the fish are going to behave different because they're they're seasonal animals, but by and large the flow and the temperature is going to be the same. But for most people, what's more likely to be available than a full-fledged spring creek is a sp- creek that is influenced in some way by springs it could be small spring seeps and all these are is little uh, areas within the stream where a a little bit of spring water enters through some cracks of an aquifer that's kind of higher in the in the um the ground below the spring or it could be a tributary so some small adjacent stream that flows into the main stream and both of these will provide an influx of cold water that will create a stretch of water that serves as a sanctuary during the heat. And finding these spots it usually comes about through scouting. In the summertime or in the late spring, early fall while you're wet wading, you'll definitely feel these areas on your legs and on your feet. And it's worth taking note of. And all that's to say, these pockets of cold water, they will concentrate fish. And this is good in milder heat. But at the same time, and this is kind of where you have to use your discernment and really lay off if you uncover this in the middle of summertime, uh, there will be incredibly dense points of refuge during the hottest and driest stretches. And you've probably seen these online. Um, You've probably encountered something like this in, in the real world if you've been out long enough. In really, really hot stretches, you can know that you found a spring seep or a little spring-fed tributary if there are dozens, if not hundreds, not just trout, but fish in general, with their nose in that cold, oxygenated water. Those are not fish that you should be fishing for. Even if that water is cold and clean and oxygenated, those fish are experiencing a lot of distress, and it is not particularly sporting to go after them. But when it is a mild heat wave, when it's just, you know, you're having a couple of 90 degree days in the middle of the week, but it's been at normal temperatures throughout the adjacent days, then those are places that you should go and try to fish if you're wanting to fish. Now, again, this is not a hard and fast rule. Some people say, no, you should never do that. That's incredibly irresponsible. Other people should say, who cares? It's just fish. 
I think something in the middle is probably reasonable. You know yourself. You know your. You have a conscience, and that conscience speaks to much bigger things than than fly fishing. But in fly fishing, it speaks to those situations as well. So just know your stream, know the temperature, and and know what the fish are doing. Read the fish's body language. If they are on top of each other, don't cast to them. You know. If, if there's a couple of fish that are kind of in that perimeter around that spring seep or they're kind of lined up along the bank for like, you know, 10, 20 yards downstream of where that uh, spring uh, tributary enters in, that's a perfectly reasonable situation where you can and should make a cast. Now, that itself might be too, too far of a bridge for you to cross and, and, and you don't like the idea of doing that in the summertime. But I think it's worth looking for those things and looking for those spots because even in the spring and the summer and then in the winter time those are going to be good spots also but when it's just a little bit of a warmer warmer stretch that's a great place to look so springs and summer secondly is thermometers dropping so think about everything that you have in your pack you have barbless hooks to help protect the fish you're carrying a rubber bagged net to protect the fish you'll drive all the way somewhere where summer fishing is an option to protect the fish. So do you have a thermometer in your vest? Do you have a thermometer in your sling pack? Do you have a thermometer clipped to your waders? And here's the thing. You saying, it's not that hot outside today. That's no quantitative metric for fishing conditions that are good for trout. And similarly, you saying, oh, it's way too hot. It feels way too hot outside today to fish for trout. That is not a good reason. It's hardly a hard and fast excuse to stay off the water. Many trout streams have thermal protection that comes from a few places. Riparian and overhead foliage. So big, thick bushes on the stream side, overhanging banks, dark bottoms um, that have something like algae or, or moss or weeds on it, and then trees overhanging. All of those things, irrespective of the water temperature, are going to protect whatever that temperature is. So if it's already warm, it's going to stay that temperature. If it's cold, it's going to stay that temperature, even on a very, very hot day. Uh, the sun has a incredibly uh, outsized influence on the temperature of a stream compared to the uh, ambient temperature around it. Um, so if it's a really, really hot day and that stream has a lot of stream-sized vegetation, but it is thick and there's a canopy, that water is not going to heat up at the same rate as a stream that is wide open, grassy banks, no trees. And again, that uh, if it's shallow, then the sun is going to bake that stream bottom and it's going to heat up the water from the top and from the bottom. Uh, so, I mean, there's a lot there. There's a lot of uh, hydrological, you know, temperature stuff that is worth kind of knowing, but that's the, that's the general idea. So all you got to do, though, to figure this out, you know, not just kind of, again, stick your finger in it or stick your finger in the air. All you got to do is drop a thermometer and you can might be able to find out that, you know what? Yes, it's too hot to fish. Or, you know what? It's really, really hot out, but that ambient heat hasn't really had an impact on the water much. So conversely, a stream that is usually fine might not be. So before you rig up your rod, before you put your waders on, just drop the thermometer in for a few seconds. And the result might be no fishing. But it might not be no fishing, period. It might be no fishing here. 
head up the valley, head to a spot where there is more cover, head to a spot where you you might have a little bit more of, of moving water. And so it's able to maintain a cooler temperature because it's not, it's moving faster and it's not having a chance to be kind of quasi stagnant. So just get a thermometer and try things out. But it, like I said before, this is not just a, a technique to employ when you are trying to fish in the middle of summer. Um, like springs, they're going to be a helpful location for you to find fish year-round. Having a thermometer is going to help you be aware of what's going on in that water year-round also. There's the, the exact same dynamic is at play in the wintertime. Fish, although it's pretty safe to fight them and keep them um, underwater in the wintertime in the coldest of weather, um, they're going to not be as active when things are that cold. So you're going to try to find places where there maybe is a little bit more sun. Maybe the water is a little bit slower. Maybe the um, water is looks like it's, it's totally clear from ice, but it is just incredibly cold, and you're able to drop that thermometer in and figure out what's going on below. Bugs have uh, reactions to that. Uh, forage fish have reactions to that. Again, a lot of things you can do with the thermometer. All right, so first thing is uh, find the spring. Secondly, drop in a thermometer. And thirdly, time is on your side. Mornings are cooler. Evenings are cooler. This is a fact. And it's hardly scientific, but think about how your body, all right, think about how your body reacts to a temperature being raised by only a few degrees. You know, have you ever been sitting in your, your office or in your, your bedroom and somebody moved the thermostat just two or three degrees and you get incredibly hot or incredibly cold? All right, that's going to be the same thing that happens in a shallow stream. There can be significant thermal fluctuations throughout the course of a sunny day and the fish are going to feel that, the trout are going to feel that and they'll be wanting nothing to do with exerting themselves in the heat of the day. But once the sun goes down and things cool off a bit, they'll be much more apt to feed and they'll be much less stressed out by a quick fight. So some of that is just the reality. As soon as the sun goes away, things are going to start to cool off. And as soon as the sun comes up, things are going to start to warm up. But again, a thermometer is key in determining that um, you know, the sun going down, the sun coming up is actually changing the water temperature. And that can be as easy as dropping it in and kind of giving a baseline and then going back later and checking it. And if it does drop down a little bit, then that's, then that's good enough. And other things aren't, aren't good indicators. So for example, feeding fish, you know, fish that are going to bite doesn't mean that they are fish that are going to be okay if they fight. Um, feeding fish do not indicate fish that will survive a struggle. So those are three quick things, and they're very, very common sense, but at the same time, they're uh, the kind of things that I have to remind myself of. Um, sometimes I look at the local stream and I think, eh, it's just be easier to drive to tailwater. It'd just be easier to drive to the mountains. And the fact of the matter is, is that I know that some of my local streams have spring seeps, have uh, adjacent little tributaries that have very cold, well-oxygenated water that's being pumped into them. Um, I know there's places that have great riparian and overhanging cover, and so I can get in there and I can catch fish, especially in the morning and the evening, that are going to be completely fine as long as those temperature uh, swings are more spikes and not sustained hot temperatures. So you are totally capable and able to fish in the summertime. Um, but of course, a couple other things, you know, remember that fighting and handling fish properly and quickly are always key, regardless of the month or temperature. Uh, but those 
circumstances are going to increase the mortality of fish if it is very, very hot out, keeping them out of the water or handling them too much or fighting them too long is always going to increase the chances of them being injured and them dying. Now, this part of the game is a blood sport. I mean, even catch and release, you're putting a hook in the, the mouth of the thing. I have no problems with that, but you try to do it under the best situations to respect and be good stewards of the resource. Um, the other thing is that summer short, you know, taking a few extra steps can lead to some great fishing in August, but what it also can do both for yourself and for everyone else around you is that, you know, making these small changes and not just doing what you've always done, but also not just escaping is going to preserve the overall fishing throughout the rest of the year for yourself and everyone else. So do you have any thoughts, any other tips and tricks? I mean, those are some very, very basic things. Uh, again, if your conscience says, I want to stay off the water, then by all means, stay off the water. I think that that is a perfectly virtuous thing to do. If you have that luxury of being close to one of the uh, creek systems I talked about before, spring creeks, high mountain streams, or tailwaters, then that is a great option and that's a, a great thing to do and if those are you know a short drive away then maybe that is the answer but there's no reason there's no law there's no code that says you have to stay off of every river um, just because it's warm out some of them are still very productive and the fish are going to be totally fine as long as you follow best practices this week on castingacross.com the first article is called red white and bluegill red white and bluegill this is kind of my 4th of July article in which I declared uh, independence from the fly fishing status quo. Now, uh, this doesn't mean that I'm, I'm not going to talk about fly fishing controversies or think about them. It doesn't mean I'm not going to have a fancy fly rod or I'm not going to carry all sorts of gear with me. But I just was enjoying fishing for bluegill with my kids over the last few weeks, and it was so simple. And you know what? I didn't even talk about this, but you know, there's sometimes where I didn't even use a fly rod, I used a spinning rod because it was much easier to deal with kids when you are not trying to backcast 20 or 30 feet before you, you get your lure out there. So red, white, and bluegill. Simple, funny, cute little article with a, a big, uh, handsome bluegill that one of my boys caught as the cover image. Wednesday's article was called 14 and Fly Fishing. This is actually something I have not done before on casting across in the six plus years of writing. And that is I've gone back to an old article and I have edited it. I mean, big time editing. It was something like 1,200, 1,300 words when I, when I grabbed it and it's something like 600 words now. So I really pared the thing down. And this was an article called, again, 14 and Fly, 14 and fly Fishing that uh, I had a conservation organization reach out to me and ask to use it in one of their publications. So it's a great article on its own merit, but when I wrote it, I was just kind of writing whatever. I wasn't really thinking of the kind of attention span people were going to have for articles on the website, so I wrote a pretty long thing. So I took it and I edited it down. I made it more concise. I made the language a little bit uh, more clear, and it was a lot of fun. I actually really enjoyed it. I'm not going to be doing this every week, I don't think, but I think I will be going back into the archives, finding older articles and older posts, particularly ones that kind of have a narrative feel to them, and I'm going to be working on them or finding them. It was a lot of fun for me to see, wow, you know, I thought that was a good sentence, or I thought that was a good phrase, or man, I used that same word three times in three paragraphs or something like that. So those are fun little things I have on the inside. But um, 
14 and Fly Fishing, great article about what it was like to grow up with uh, an intensity for fly fishing well over 20 years now. And uh, then you can go back and you can read the original article, which is called Fly Fishing at 14. I changed up the title so that they would appear differently on the website. But you can check those out and let me know which ones you like better. I think they're, they're both equally good. They're just different. One last note before I get to this week's recommendation on the podcast, it is that next week the episode is going to be another quote-unquote fly fishing accusations where I interact with listener and reader questions, comments, and feedback. So if you have a question, if you have a comment, if you had feedback, if you have an accusation, let me know. Matthew at castingacross.com. If you follow me on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, feel free to use those integrated messaging systems to reach out to me. I'd be happy to interact with whatever you do, whatever you say. And uh, I usually take three or four of them and uh, just based upon kind of subject matter and how they fit together and how they relate to things I've talked about recently in the podcast or on the website, then I will use them for podcast fuel so that I can uh, have just a little bit of a different format for one episode out of every 10. This week's recommendation on the podcast is the Curtis Creek Manifesto by Sheridan Anderson. The Curtis Creek Manifesto. This is the subtitle to this graphic novel about fly fishing. The fully illustrated guide to the strategy, finesse, tactics, and paraphernalia of fly fishing. So this is a simple introductory book that is done in a fun, illustrated manner. Um, This is a great book to get anybody if they're five or if they're 75 and they're getting into fly fishing because it is very, very simple. It's very, very basic. It's visual and more than it is words. And it is going to give you a great overview of some of the essentials about this, the, the who, what, when, where, why, and how of fly fishing. Fun little book. I've referred to it every now and again, kind of when I want a very, very simple explanation of something that I feel like I know. And like I've said a million times, if you feel like you know it, but you can't explain it, you probably don't know it as well as you think you do. So the Curtis Creek Manifesto, I'll put a link to the book on the show notes to this podcast page on castingacross.com. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com where you'll find more info on this podcast and three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. Thank you.